What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. And welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish, and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into this week's really amazing episode, it's a jam-packed one, Mr. Stay. Really I'd like to tell everyone about a really exciting event we've got coming up. It's an opportunity Ooh. to meet the two Marks. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Come along and meet us. We are doing, on the 8th of December, we are doing an Academy, Bestseller Academy kind of open day, like a webinar. Come and, come and listen to, um, find out all about what the, the Bestseller Academy is about and see if it's the thing that would help you ignite your 2022 book writing year if 2021 hasn't panned out the way it has or you've had a brilliant 2021 and you just want to go one stage better um, then come along on december the 8th we're going to be doing it at 12 p.m pst that's 8 p.m uk time and every other time zone in between and uh, it will be recorded <laughs> as well so if you want to pop along just come to the academy so it's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and register for that now. And there'll be an opportunity to chat with us. We'll be taking questions and uh, yeah. want to know a bit more about interactive session. Yeah. And because uh, there's so much, one of the things we've, we'd realize is there's so much happening in the academy and we talk about it a fair bit, obviously on the podcast, but a lot of people are saying to me, Mark, I still don't really understand how it works. Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a nice, a nice like a, kind of like an open day you ever been to one of those, Mark, where you used to pop oh, on? Oh, yeah, yeah. The there's always, there's always someone, there's always a room with some Bunsen burners. We won't be having that. Um, <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah but... that's true. That's true. We need some kind of crazy, like, fire experiment to... Uh, we won't be wearing white coats as well, just in case you're wondering. But, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I've but we'd love somewhere. to meet you. We'd love to meet you and do pop along and find out a bit more about what the Academy's about. And, um, yes, pop along, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Um, Mr. Stay, there's a... So much stuff going on this week. I don't even know where to start. How's your week been? How's your week been? Really good. I've started the edit of the third Woodville book. Well, I've got my beta reader feedback. So this is before it goes to my agent and publisher. Um, two fantastic beta readers who, curiously, um, there's a couple of points where one loves the thing I did and one doesn't like the thing I did. So oh. I have a decision to make. And mm. it's um, it's been interesting because you have to make a judgment call there. So uh, I'm making those judgment calls, which is uh, lots of fun. I'm uh, and the thing is, as with any kind of editing, you know, you don't, you listen to the problem, you don't necessarily listen to the solution. So it's inspired a, a couple of things that weren't there before. So I love that feedback. I thrive on that feedback. So it's really, really good. Yeah. Feedback's absolutely essential, isn't it? I mean, I think it's um, it's the one thing that can keep you moving forward. A lot of people get stuck because they're not able to get feedback at the moment. I mean, one thing we do in the Academy yeah. is the, the, the beta readers and oh, yeah. feedback on your opening chapters. I think it's, it's keeping people moving forward is the big thing. And, um, 
yeah, we get lost a bit in our own head sometimes. So it must be great to have all of that. It's a good problem to have, right? Very good problem to have. I also got a lovely bit of, um, <laughs> I did some local publicity. I, did, I was on local radio, BBC Radio mm. Kent. And just to show publicity like that really, really works, someone Claire knows went up to her and said, oh, I have Mark on the radio. Oh, lovely. Yeah. They said, if my sister was still alive, she'd love that book. <laughs> oh, bless her. Oh. So it works. Oh, my gosh. You should, you should like have a, uh, a list of the most interesting bits of feedback you've ever received. That's bonkers. <laughs> I've had a bit of an interesting week, Mark. I, I was. Yes. I hope everyone was in, as inspired as we were by the Michael Connolly interview. I also, mm. it's a weird kind of um, merging of things on the podcast. Uh, I also started reading Linwood Barclay's book, um, Find You First. And of course, oh, you, know, you interviewed. Oh, were you, I did. I reached out to you, didn't I? At the beginning of summer, I said, Mark, I'm going away on camping. I want to, I want to really good read and i said you know what books would you recommend you gave me a list of books including some of our academate books and yeah. some of our previous guests to, but you mentioned linwood and i i was always taken with that interview that, that that you did and we had that good post about that um six months ago or so and yeah started reading the book and you know combined with all of the great inspiration from michael conley last week i i kind of dug up a, a, a thing that i've been working on for two years it's been one of those ideas where i've been plotting it and and I thought, you know what? Sod it. I'm going to, I'm going to start writing this because it just, ha so I sat down by the fire the other night and bashed out the prologue. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is actually, uh, this isn't bad. You know, it's not, it's not amazing, but it's actually, I'd read this because I, I then edited it and, but it's really kind of been that spark now. And I never thought I'd end up writing, you know, trying a thriller kind of novel because that's what it is. But hey. so, so watch this space. I'm, I'm oh, quite inspired. Excellent. But I'm actually kind of wondering about like one thing of journey with this is I'm kind of thinking quite early on whether what route to go with this. Is this going to be a, you know, pitch this to agents, um, self-publishing, which we've done, obviously. Um, and then in today's interview, this, we talk about something called Vellum, I believe. First time I'd heard of that. No, and, no, uh, no. You're thinking of um, Vella. Vela, thank you. Vela, yes. Vela. Yes, yes, so, yes, yes. And I was thinking, well, that's an interesting model. So if you're interested in finding out more of that, listen to the interview today because there's a, there's some interesting discussions. So lots of things flying around, which is I think cool. I think sod it, let's write. I think that should be the next catchphrase. You've said sod it. That is such a great empowering phrase. It is. It, it, you sort of cast aside any fears you have. Sod it, let's write. Let's get yeah. it on a t-shirt. I know we've been talking about merch for ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's you know, get your bum in the seat and sod it, let's write. Could be on the back of the shirt. <laughs> but something else really interesting happened as a result of this wonderful podcast. People always say, you know, um, you know, that podcasts can be a great, great things to do. And we, we interviewed, we interviewed Ellie Barker and listeners might remember going back again this year. Great interview with Ellie, who is a ITV newscaster of all mm. things and also a, a wonderful author. Um, and she reached out and she, she said some really lovely things about how the podcast helped her. And she wanted, she, she does her, she started her own podcast called the next chapter and she approached me and asked me if I wanted to do an interview. Now, I haven't done, I mean, it's funny to say this, I haven't actually done an interview in probably four years. And um, a lot of the reasons behind that was obviously what was happening with my family and with my wife passing away. It was too, I was finding it too difficult to kind of go back out and thought. Because before this podcast, folks, that's what I did. I spent 
15, 20 years doing seminars on personal development, doing interviews on the national TV and radio. I mean, this, this has been my life and I kind of, this podcast has been a wonderful kind of break away from that. But I thought, you know, I feel ready to get back out there. And when Ellie reached out and said, I want to, I want to interview about, about your journey, um, would you be interested? I thought, well, maybe now's the time. And I, I thought I'd give it a go. Well, this interview went on for two hours. <laughs> was I mean, she's editing it down, but um, I haven't heard it yet, but it's, it's actually going to be out by the time this episode comes out. So if you want to journey with me on that, um, it's very, very different from what you hear on this podcast, um, but with all the same kind of, you know, good stuff about life and optimism and living your dreams. And, but yeah, it's a kind of a new beginning for me in that regard as well. And I make a quite a big announcement on there, which I think a lot of people on the, on this podcast will be interested in. So, so do go support Ellie's podcast. It's the next chapter by Ellie Barker and it's on, you know, iTunes and all good podcasts, but uh, yeah, I'd be interested to get people's feedback on that. Fab. We'll put a link in the show notes to that folks. So you can, you can check it out. I'll be checking it out. Fantastic. One other thing we should mention, Mark, as well, before we dive into this week's interview, is for anyone who maybe missed the last couple of episodes, we are giving away three copies of our audiobook of Back to Reality. And you have literally 24 hours to get your name. Oh, if you're listening to this on Monday. On the Monday. Yeah. On the Monday, yeah. <laughs> End of November is the deadline for that. All you have to do is go to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the newsletter link in the navigation and put in your email address, join the mailing list, and you will be entered to win one of those three. And I think, Mark, next week we will be announcing the winner. So if you put your name in the hat mm. or if you're already on the mailing list, you're already in, so you don't even have to do anything, um, but we will be announcing the three winners of the audiobook next week. And on to today's interview, Mark. This was a cracker. <laughs> Absolute cracker. There's uh, so much to unpack in this one. There is. Tell us about J.K. Ellum. Oh, J.K. Ellum, such good fun. He was born in London, spent his formative years preferring to read books and comics rather than doing his homework. I can relate to that. He's the author of thriller fiction. So he writes thrillers that are unpredictable, layers, subplots, twists and turns. Uh, so he writes sort of psychological thrillers, mystery, suspense. And he's got a new book, Ravenwood, which is the sequel to his number one Amazon UK and US best-selling thriller, Mill Point Road. And uh, the shout line for that is five women, dark secrets, one killer who knows them all. And absolutely wonderful, twisty, turny stuff. And we discuss how he writes a first draft in 53 days, how using dictation software has changed how he writes, the role of Lego in his creative process, and how to make an ad for a book not look like an ad for a book. Lots to discuss. Excellent. So for all you Lego fans out there, you finally got an, as, and if you finally got an excuse as to why you can now play with Lego whilst you write, <laughs> let's dive in and find out what that's all about as Mark chats with the wonderful J.K. Ellum. J.K. Ellum, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Mark, and I appreciate the uh, invite. No, our, our pleasure, our absolute pleasure, because there's, there's so much to talk about. Um, let's start with the new book, though. Um, Ravenwood is the sequel to your best-selling thriller, Mill Point Road. Sequels are always tough. Uh, tell us about this series and, and how the sequel came about. Look, I guess uh, Mill Point Road got written in... Uh, 2019 and it was always designed as a, a standalone there was no you know there was no plan for a sequel or or a series at all 
and I just put it out there. And after a couple of months, it just, it just really took off. It took off momentum. And then a lot of my readers were saying, when's there going to be a sequel? We'd like to know more of the characters, what happens to them. And I sort of walked away from it for probably about um, 18 months and wrote other books, had other stories published. And I just kept in the back of my head um, these characters bubbling away and wanting to know what actually did happen to them um, <laughs> in the book. So then I decided, look, the the it, once it hit number number one in I think five or six categories on on the Amazon charts in the US and the UK, um, then I couldn't ignore the fact that look, you, you just follow the muse, you go where uh, where the success is. So I then decided I'm going to write a um, a sequel to it um, and build out, I guess, the town of Ravenwood where it was based. So that's how the that's the, how the sequel has been designed. It's it's now going to grow into a into a series of books, and there's going to be some crossovers too. The more I thought about it, the more I. Uh, I was interested in how I can cross over these these characters into other books, other series that I write. So we're going to build out the uh, the town of Ravenwood, and we'll have other characters dropping in, and and um, and go from there. So I, I love that phrase, "go where the success is." So there was no master plan with this. You don't have like an eight book epic series all mapped out. No, You're basically no. taking it as you go, and and making the most of the opportunity of a, of that that a bestseller gives you. That's it. Look, my tip is that the books that I, or the the big planned series and the epic world building ones that I've tried to, I guess, write to market have never worked. Never. I found that the less I plan, the and if I just get inspiration from a book and let the readers decide um, if they like it or not, um, it goes from there. Every book that I write and every series that I have written start off as a standalone. I threw it out there, let the market test it. Um, did they like it? Did they not like it? And let the let your readers judge and decide, hey, look, we want to see a book two. We want to see a book three. And the funny thing about Mill Point Road, it, it, it was a book by accident. Um, it was never planned. I was in Maryland back in 2018 with my wife and we got hopelessly lost on some of these country back roads, just completely lost, and we, we crested this hill. And in the distance, the, the woodland just sort of fell away and there were these five massive houses on this ridge, beautiful mansions in this gated community, um, beautiful farmhouses, very expensive looking. And I turned to my wife and I said, I wonder what happens up there behind closed doors. <laughs> and that was it. I jumped out of the car. I took a photo of the five houses. I took a photo of the, uh, the street, the street sign. And we only planned to be in, in Maryland in Washington County for a couple of days. We extended that and I started furiously making notes about this this book and the five women that uh, that live on Mill Point Road and that was it. It was the best. It just came from nothing. It came from a wrong turn. It's a wrong turn book. <laughs> Happy accidents are always the best. Now, you, yes. you mentioned there that, you, you know, where you've had a success and you've built on that as you have with uh, Mill Point Road and Ravenwood. Are there any that fell by the wayside that you kind of think, oh, I wish I wish that had done better. I wish I could go back to that and build on that. And and if you have, are there any plans to go back to those books? Or are they or are they done? Are they are they kind of in the reject pile? Yeah, look, it's my, my first foray into into writing was um a dystopian series called the Octagon series. And I guess I was I was 
new to the game. And I just, someone said to me, you know, what are you going to write? And I said, I got no idea. And someone gave me some great advice and said, well, um, go and look in your, your DVD cabinet. You know, this is before Netflix. <laughs> and look at all the DVDs you buy. You know, is there a pattern? And I pulled it open and there was a lot of sci-fi and dystopian and um, stories, uh, movies like that. So I thought, look, write what you, um, what you love. So I started off this dystopian series. And that was one where I planned, yes, it's going to be three or five books, a huge trilogy. But I guess it never really got traction. It's, it's there. It's there published. There's two out of three that are done. And yes, I will go back to it and I will go back and rewrite the series. And because I'm, I'm a lot, well, I hope I'm a lot better now as a writer than I was when I started the Octagon series. Um, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish that third book and, um, and see where it goes. I'll rewrite the other two. And hopefully what I've learned in the last three or four years, I can, uh, I can improve on those two earlier books and, and hopefully they'll get some traction. It's fascinating that you went to the DVD shelf and not to the bookshelf. And this is something that certainly on, on our academy and our bestseller experiment mm. group, we talk about a lot because we do talk about movies a lot because generally we've probably seen more movies than we've read books. Uh, and there's a commercial kind of sensibility to movies that not all books have. Why, why, what drew you to the DVD shelf rather than the bookshelf? Because I guess there was a plan, Mark, that I try to write. I'm a very visual person, so I try to write as though I'm writing a scenes, not chap. I'm trying to write a TV series or a film. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's very similar. I wanted to write an engaging, fast-paced, almost visual book. So I, I get a lot of my inspiration from TV shows, from streaming shows that I watch, and I, I like that sort of um, scene, quick scenes, quick chapters. There's a dilemma, how do we overcome it? And then the table, uh, tables get turned at the end. So I'm very much a person that gets inspired. I get all my ideas from, from watching, not, uh, not reading. I do read a lot, but the inspiration comes from um, the shows that I watch and say, well, that would make a great thriller if we twisted it like this from there. Excellent stuff. Okay, so you move from the sort of dystopian genre, and you've you shifted over to crime, mystery, suspense, thrillers. Has right. that been uh, a good move for you? Well, it clearly has. Uh, wh why did you make that shift, and and how has that worked out for you? Well, I guess it's. I then opened the second drawer of the DVD cabinet <laughs> and realised <laughs> I, had a, I had a lot of British crime thrillers in there, like a lot of, you know, I was a big fan of Prime Suspect and all the offshoots of that in, in mm -hmm. the day. And, um, and, and I looked in there and I thought, look, commercially, apart from romance, um, thrillers, crime, suspense, mystery are, are the, probably the biggest genre after romance. So it was a commercial reason, but it was never a, a commercial reason purely based on success. It was, it was, I also liked watching and, and writing and sorry, and reading crime thrillers. So I, I sort of shifted into that genre and, and look, I've, I've known, I've known a lot of writers that they're writing in genres that they absolutely hate. They would never read or watch <laughs> in the genre that they write and I, I just can't understand why they do that. So I do love crime, uh, crime mystery dramas. I watch a lot of them now, um, true crime as well. And that was the, was the shift. I, I didn't think um, I could have a too much of a commercial success of, of writing dystopian or writing um, fantasy or sci-fi. Let's talk about your 
daily writing process and and how you write a first draft in and this is a very specific number how you can write a first draft in 53 days tell us about that jack well i guess i i plan out i my target is 1500 words a day and if i work 5 to 6 days a week i can get a i can usually get a first draft out in in 53 days i'm very um Based on formula, I'm very rigid and regimented in, in, in that production cycle from there. So as long as I can get something down, um, I don't plan, I don't outline. I've got a rough idea of, of the beginning and the end, and I pretty much uh, do minimal plotting. I just wait, you know, the characters go where the characters go from there. So as long as I can get a first draft out in 53 to 60 days, then I'll do a 30-day uh, rewrite a few times after that. And then we're we're pretty much good to go. Um, I write five to six days a week. I write in blocks of two hours. I'm up at six. I'm in my office seven till nine. Breakfast from nine till ten. Cover some admin. Back writing ten till twelve. And if I can get my words in by lunchtime, it's it's happy days. Nice. Very very good. <laughs> you mentioned a thirty day edit process, which again, will have a lot of our listeners swooning. Um, what's your process for the edit? What's your sort of uh, triage? What, what are the things you tend to tackle first? I think I, I just, I just started back at the, at the beginning. I, I have a process also when I'm halfway through, through the book, um, just to mix up one side of my brain to the other. Once I hit my target, I'll go back and I'll start rewriting from page one. Um, when I get through halfway through the, through the manuscript, through right. writing. And it sort of solves, because I, I, I was finding at the beginning that I'd write the whole manuscript and then I realised I had huge plot holes and contradictions and and um, paradoxes uh, mistakenly written into it. So I can tend to fix um, any of those if I go back halfway through the book and start the book, sorry, and start the rewrite at the same time. Um, and also if you get stuck, if you get stuck or you backed into a corner partway through and you don't know where the plot's going to go, um, go back and start the rewrite at the beginning. That's that's my piece of advice, and it just to me it works really well. So within thirty days, within a month, I can do two or three rewrites, um, and just normally cutting out garbage, cutting out a lot of the waffle, tightening up the chapters, and and making sure that uh, everything is covered. So by going back, you're sort of starting again. You're generating that momentum again. So when you get to the block, you sort of break through it. Is that it? Absolutely. It's yeah, by the time you've you start the rewrite and you're maybe 40% of the rewrite, you go, man, I need to take the book this direction. Okay. Right. This is where it's going. I just I just forgot about it. I took another wrong turn, you know, in <laughs> chapter 12. Um, and so my advice to, to any of the writers, authors out there is that look, if you get stuck and it's doing your head in for a couple of days, apart from taking a break, go and, go and start the rewrite. It'll give you a refresh and it will put everything into perspective. And all of a sudden you'll look at alternative paths that the book can go down. Is this a method that you've worked on and honed over time, or is this how you've always worked? When when you first sat down to write that 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 first sort of dystopian series, how were you working back then? And what sort of mistakes that were you were making that you've learned from since? Um, I guess the mistakes were were plenty. I think I was I was a bit ambitious. Um, I tried to I tried to write the next Hunger Games, which was never going to happen. <laughs> That's probably why it probably failed <laughs> at the beginning. Um, but no, it was very linear. I, it's a process that 
through trial and error. Um, and it was, I guess it started when I started writing that dystopian series and I was getting stuck in certain parts. I thought, hey, look, just go back and just rewrite, um, start the rewriting process and go from there. So it's it's not a, it's, to answer your questions, it's not a set process that I had from day one. It's evolved and, and things that I used to do uh, don't do anymore and things that I, I do now I wouldn't ever con- contemplate in a million years. Like one of the ones is I, I do dictate now. I dictate. Um, I find it's very, I can punch out, you know, three or 4,000 words in a day. Now they've got to be three or 4,000 quality words. And the mistake I made when I first, first started using dictation is that I would just sit in front of a microphone and just make garbage up and it didn't work. You have, you have to have more of a, an outline of the, the chapters you want to do. Um, otherwise you're just going to talk garbage and you'll end up culling most of it come the end of the session. So I do a lot of dictation now, but it's planned and it, it does fly along pretty quick. Right. So you're you're basically doing a tiny outline of of the chapter mm. and then filling the gaps in between those sort of story beats. Is that is that how you're doing the dictation? Yeah. It's it's good because I can sit with a pair of headphones on and pretend to be the character in the scene. And, you know, sometimes I'm walking around the room saying, how am I going to get out of this room? Someone's locked the damn door or, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm in a cell. And it's I think it's more immersive because you've you're actually talking um, dialogue that the that the characters would. And you suddenly, weirdly enough, you suddenly um, take on their persona, which is a bit strange, <laughs> but I found it's, it's, you get inside their head better. I'm like, I, I like typing. Oh, actually I don't, I hate typing, but, um, <laughs> I still like, I still like writing, um, you know, with pen or pencil or, or using a keyboard. But I found once I started dictating, I was more invested in the story. I was more, right. Um, invested in the scene, I was more invested in the outcome for the character and I was more worried for them. So it, it was just a strange, different way of looking at it. That's absolutely fascinating. Do mm. you have any kind of drama, acting, improv background or is it just you sort of wandering around in your room muttering to yourself? Now, sometimes it's me wandering around in the room. Um, I got stuck in a book once that uh, I had this scene in a parking lot Um where it was very much a sliding doors sort of scenario where the villain and the hero were sort of missing each other by a heartbeat. And I had to actually build a little Lego model of the, uh, of the gas station so I could work out <laughs> how was this going to work? Um, you know, it's, it's, it was things like that. So it's, 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 it does make it interesting. I know we have listeners who use Lego as a reward for when they finished a draft um, but actually okay. using it as a story building thing. That's new. I love that. That is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, Just to tell you, I, I, I use red wine as a reward <laughs> <laughs> when I finished a draft. Excellent stuff. Now you're, um, you're, let, let's talk about the, the whole indie side of things because you've made a huge success of yourself. You know, these are number one Amazon UK and US bestsellers. Uh, was it always like that? Did you sort of, you know, hit the ground running or what were the, what were the sort of things you had to do in order to, to make those things happen? No, it was, it was a slow grind. It was one reader, one review at a time. It was, it's a, it's a long, um, rewarding process, but it's, it's a lot of hard work. I think, um, apart from shifting to, to crime thrillers, um, I think, 
like I do a lot of marketing. I, 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 I run Facebook ads and, and they were, they were successful at the beginning, but then they seem to drop off. Um, and I guess it's, it's a case of, um, I have a mantra where it's, you've got to be willing as a, as an indie author to do what other indie authors aren't willing to do, I guess, from a marketing perspective. So I took some, some fairly interesting, um, ads that I had, uh, designed and, and put them up on, onto Facebook and, and, and they sort of turned around some of the lagging sales, but it's, it was, it was a long process. It just, you just got to get that momentum going. Um, you've got to, you've got to write every day and you've just got to be a good person at, at marketing and you've got to be very vigilant with your marketing from there. When you say it's a long grind, and this is something we, we reiterate a lot to our listeners, as perseverance really counts for a lot in this game, how long are we talking about? What sort of time period? Um, full time would have been 2019. So I started the dystopian series, I think, 2017, 2018, while I was still still running a business and then sold the business in 2018, 19, and, and went full time then. So my production um, really increased when I was, when I was uh, sold the business and when I could dedicate the time full time. Otherwise, when I was running my business, um, it was pretty much trying to steal some hours in the morning or on the weekends or uh, working late at night, you know, typing away on the manuscript from there. Um, but look, it's, it's a case of if you're writing commercial fiction and you can build an audience from the beginning and you can be persistent and look where the market is going. And I think I had the, uh, some luck on my side that, that Amazon did prick up their ears at, at one point. Um, and that's probably another bit of advice to give to anyone who's an indie author. Um, and an Amazon deal comes their way, whether it be a, um, a prime deal or a countdown deal or a, what they call a gold box deal, just take any deal that Amazon throw at you. you this is a long game. I've, I've got friends of mine that will hate to take a deal and they say, look, you know, I, I'm not making any money initially, but think of the long game. It's, it's, you're building an audience, you're building a readership. And it's, I think it's because I, I, took everything that Amazon threw at me, even if it was crazy deals at 99 pence or 99 cents in the US, it built the back end of, of the other books and the read-through that, that happened six to 12 months later. And, and I think that was part of, the, part of the strategy as well. Okay, cool. Are you relying solely on ads and promotions like that or are, do you have other sort of routes to market that you're, you're using to promote the books? Well, it's funny you say that because I've just had a complete restructure of my marketing plan for 2022, and I'm try. I have to be less reliant on on Facebook. Um, Facebook from the beginning for the last two or three years were my only source of ads, um, only source of marketing directly to to new readers. You've you know you've got a website, I've got a database. Um, you post onto Facebook and Instagram, but apart from that, the real uh, exchange of money for marketing was was only through Facebook, and you become extremely um, reliant. Like I've had my account suspended, I think four times because I do I do push the boundaries on what and how I market, um, and um, and I just don't like that reliance on on one. Um, one platform, one advertising platform. So we're looking at going wide in 2022. We're looking at how we can market um, in other areas. And, it, um, and and we've just, we want to cut our reliance purely on, on Facebook by at least 50%. 
Absolutely. What, um, when you say push the boundaries, what, what sort of things? Because you mentioned interesting ads earlier. What sort of things were you doing? Look, if and this is probably something for um, your listeners out there who are who are whether they're using AMS ads on Amazon or they're using Facebook ads. Um, my word of advice, and this is what everything changed um, for us for when sales took off and when the interest suddenly took off from people. Um, you got to understand there's a lot of, every time you open, there's a lot of ads on Facebook. It's just saturated now with ads from literally everything. And there's a lot of ads for books. So my word, what we changed is, is I sat down and I said, well, how can I make an ad for a book and not look like an ad for a book? Because everyone's got ads for books. You, you, it becomes a sea of sameness. You, you all look the same. So, um, I think in, I think 2019, late 2018, I came up with the idea of not having an ad for a book, but more like having a news flash, like a, a breaking news, um, you know, serial killer on the large in Kent or something <laughs> like that. You know, <laughs> If I wrote a serial killer book about, you know, serial killer in Kent, um, I wouldn't say, here's my book about a serial killer in Kent. It's written by J.K. Ellum. It's a bestseller, blah, blah, blah. Um, click on the link to buy. I would rejig that and and have a headline saying "Breaking News: um, Don't Go Out at Night in Kent, Serial Killer on the Loot," <laughs> and people would go, "Oh, I want to read. What's this about?" And yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. in their feed, and they'll realise then that um, it's a it's a different catchy way of marketing. And I was getting a lot more responsiveness um, with those types of. There was no picture of the book, nothing. It just right. had. The picture of of a man in a hood or something. Um, I haven't written a serial killer about a serial killer in Kent, mind you. Um, <laughs> and it's it's and it, it just broke into broke through a lot of that noise that you get on social media when people just oh another another ad for this another ad for that. Mm. But the problem was, um, and it ran really well. It, it's it's ran really well for for twelve months. But the problem was as we were coming into the U.S. election um, with Trump and Biden and this whole concept of fake news suddenly mm. raised its head, which I've never heard of before. I'm sure fake news has been out there. And then um, Facebook decided to clamp down as a result of that leading into the end of um, um, coming up to the election cycle on this whole concept of fake news. So they they didn't take very kindly to my fake news ads. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, but that, but that I said that at the beginning that you, as, as an indie author, you have, how do you stand out from the crowd with your marketing, with your covers, um, with your book blurb? Um, and then you've always got to, you've always got to look at how, how do I, how do I differentiate my product from, from everyone else? And, and that was one of the ones that they came up with. Now we can't do that anymore because as soon as something's breaking news, um, um, Facebook is on, on me and says, no, we can't do that uh, from that perspective. So um, that was part of the success of, of just thinking about how I do my ads differently. Well, I mean, it's good generic advice anyway to get away from the norm. It's something that mm. you're absolutely right. That whole thing of the there's a pack shot of the book, there's a blurb or whatever, you know, mm. it's uh, it's very difficult to, to make stuff stand out. What's coming next from you, Jack? Uh, I, I hear there's a gap in the market about serial killers in Kent. Um Anything? <laughs> anything else on the well, I was actually, I was, I was actually in um, end of twenty nineteen. I was in uh, in Worcester, in the UK, okay. um, in a place called Suckley, 
um, nice little uh, Worcester's a nice cathedral town. I had this mm. idea for a, a UK thriller, a um, a UK based uh, crime thriller. So that's, I've still got that on the cards. But I've just wrapped up Ravenwood, um, the sequel to Mill Point Road, and I'm doing the second book, the third book in that series, back to back. So I've started that one. But I'm also dabbling in in a serialized thriller series on uh, on Kindle Vella. So. I'm pushing out a few episodes onto that. Right. Um, and then I've got a um, another uh, a UK book, a based book that I want to uh, kick off in, in early 2022. Um, so I've got a pretty much, I aim for probably about four books next year. How's Vela working out? Uh, for for uh, our listeners, explain what, could you kindly explain what Vela is? Because I, I know we've got a few listeners who are who are dabbling in this too. And how's that working out for you? Yeah, the funny thing is, not many people know actually how Vela works. At the end of the day, on on the royalty on the royalty system, I'm fairly new to it. But basically, it allows you to um, to upload a, a story. It's, to me, it's aimed at the market of people who read on their phones, on their cell phones, mm-hmm. and um, it's only in the US at the moment not in the UK. So the the idea is that you can load episodes in and it, it gets to this episodic format of I think the old days of, um, you know, the old movies where there was a cliffhanger at the end and, um, you know, the car was going over the cliff and you you stop the series and then you've got to, you've got to pretty much um, buy the next episode. So with Vela, mm. um, you the first three episodes are, are free and um, readers buy tokens. They, they get a free amount of tokens and then they can buy tokens to, to unlock the, the fourth and fifth and so on episode from there. But the funny thing is I, I looked at it originally. I thought, Oh geez, it's, it's, Sounds very basic. It's it's an early technology. They're they're still testing, and I think they they've just done a soft launch with it. But I've got a funny feeling in the next six to twelve months, Amazon are going to throw some of their big author names um, mm. into it as well. And I think if you are an early adopter, um, I think it will put you in good stead. And for your listeners that are out there, I, I write a Vela episode on the weekend and it's a great sort of detox to writing a right. 80,000 word book during the week because it's fun. And so I, I write a, an episode on the weekend. I can crank out, you know, a thousand or 12, uh, 1200 words in, a, in an hour or so, polish it up and it will go up on a Monday. So I think it's a great, a great, uh, cleansing for for any authors out there who who just want to put aside the the big manuscript they might be wrestling with at the moment, <laughs> and just write just write an episode like TV episodes, right like that. And it's it's it really one of the byproducts is is it's improved my writing because I am forced. You, you talk about structure and a chapter and you, you know beginning, middle, and end, and you know there's got to be a dilemma and it's got to be solved. And at the end, of the chapter, not so much of a cliffhanger, but another another dilemma's got to be presented. Writing in Vela um, forces you to to write tight, uh, enthralling, fast paced um, episodes. For, for lack of a better word, rather than chapters, and so I'm finding it's I'm enjoying it, but I'm also writing better because I'm in. It's a different. You're in a different headspace when you write for Vela. Absolutely fascinating. Well, we look forward to that, Jack, and we look forward to whatever comes next, uh, folks. Uh, Ravenwood is the sequel to Mill Point Road, uh, available now from Amazon. And uh, thanks so much for speaking to us today, Jack, and hope to speak to you again soon. No, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Mike. I've got to say, when I did hear about 
building Lego scenes in your book, I thought, any excuse, say eh? any excuse. Right. My excuse is when I had little kids. I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> I can get the old Lego kit out now and I can sit there playing Lego all day with them. Now they're now they're kind of in their teens. It's a little bit more challenging to do that. It's like, Dad, I'm a, oh, okay, yeah. And now I can say, well, it's scene of my, my latest yeah, uh, blocking chapter. blocking a scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant, though. The whole point of, I mean, I'm a big fan of visualization. I mean, we are so in our heads when we write, and there's all these words flying around in our imaginations. We lie in bed at night thinking of plots and twists and... It's brilliant to get hands on and actually, because I bet you a lot of other stuff happens whilst he's putting those blocks together. Yeah, it's right. it, it is blocking a scene. It's it's blocking it out. And I, you know, I've drawn, I've drawn diagrams of rooms or places where action takes. I mean, you look at uh, another Australian writer, Matthew Riley. He keeps them in the book. He has those illustrations. You know, if someone's storming a castle, he has an illustration in the book showing you, you know, a sort of planogram of how it all pans out. Brilliant. Why not? You know, why yeah. not go for it? Have fun. I think Lego, it. Lego definitely missing a trick there. You know, we've got we've got now what <laughs> adult um doodling, haven't we? That's been a big thing, you know. Adult um, colouring. You know, well. Meditative yeah. colouring in. Yeah, why yeah. haven't why haven't Lego why haven't adult adult Lego kits for writers been released yet by Lego? You know what though? You know what? There is a Lego typewriter, and it looks amazing. It's like two hundred well, quid. Works. Well, it does. It the keys work. It doesn't actually type. <laughs> you know, but it's a it's 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 a fantastic so Lego it's like typewriter. Mechanical. It's got all the actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So if oh anyone's looking for Christmas ideas for me, <laughs> uh, if you want to get together and have a whip round for the author who has everything, right? Oh yeah. 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 Oh, you, yeah. you better be careful what you ask for. You. We do have some bonkers <laughs> podcast fans out there who probably like start a little Kickstarter just to get you that. Well, you realise? Well, yeah. I'm all. Do you think the thing that. is though when it sh- when it shows up, Mark? You see, will it be will it be in pieces or not? I guess it probably would be, wouldn't it? It's yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah. well, it's like I, one of I, listen, my go to gift for Christmas. We're going to do a special Christmas we episode are. about toys <laughs> yeah. and things. Is is Lego because it, it's really it, you know, yeah between Christmas and New Year, I chill out with a big Lego model. Okay, minor minor detour here, but I've got to say, I cannot believe how much Lego is sold for on places oh, like Facebook yeah. Marketplace. There are some very entrepreneur mums and dads out there who take Lego kits and they put them in little Ziploc bags and they're like 50 quid for a... It's quite <laughs> amazing. It's quite amazing how much how much Lego costs. But but we digress. Well, I, yeah. I, I do think that it's a very... Because I, I actually, talking of like Christmas, and I uh, got my annual christmas puzzle mark i got my annual christmas puzzle i get a new one every year i put it i spread it out on the table um mid-november if i'm organized and then it takes me all the way to like end of february to to finish not yet i'm just going to try and get it done but the thing about the concentration of sitting down and just you know putting bits and pieces together and i'm sitting there thinking about the plot of my book and it's really interesting because you, yeah, men, they say men can't multitask. Well, let me tell you, I can actually do a puzzle and come up with plot points at the same time. But there's something, there's something very meditative about, about building something. Mm. And I find that with gardening as well. I'm weeding, you know, you're weeding, but your, your mind's kind of thinking about something else. We, um, uh, when I was at Orion, we published uh, Richard Hammond's book, the book that he wrote after his car crash. Now, a bit of context, he was co-presenter of Top Gear in the UK, and he had a terrible car crash. And we had already signed him up to write his autobiography. 
then he had the crash. In fact, I was the one who broke the news to the CEO because no I way. was checking Twitter at the time. I was like, oh, bloody hell. Oh, no. So, um, uh, and the book is is really, you know, you'll love it, big inspirational read. But one of the things that helped knit his brain back together was Lego. Really? His, his wife and kids brought him Lego and he credits that that little kind of meditative state where you're being constructive, he 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 credits that with help knitting his his memories and his cognitive functions back together. So, Jack, you have no idea what you've started here. I think this is like <laughs> <laughs> kind of bonkers. But you know, so tell us about your the things that you build whilst you write. Do you play with Lego? Maybe you're into Brio blocks. I mean, maybe you like the bigger chunky stuff. But whatever it is, you know, maybe you've, maybe you've got like puzzles or something completely different. Tell us about Astropolis Note because we'd love to share with the world tips around ways in which you can, you know, extend your your writing world beyond inside your head, which I, I, I'm i absolutely 100% before I think it's wonderful. Um, one other thing that uh, I loved about of what Jack was telling us was about this idea of 53 days. It really resonated with me with our 200 word challenge, but um, have, you've not, I mean, I've not, I mean, it's a very specific number, isn't it? But I love really the is. idea of having an actual target for the first draft. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, that's some, um, it's, it's, it's someone who knows what they're doing, who's done this a few times, but I mean, this is the thing, you know, just finish it. And, what I found interesting, though, is he starts rewriting from page one when he gets half, about halfway. We've heard that which, quite a few times recently, haven't we? Yeah, and it sort of goes against our usual advice. I know. Which is, you know <laughs> just finish it. Just finish yeah. the damn thing. Don't edit when you write. You know, it's like but that's 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 what works for him. You know, and of course these aren't hard or fast rules. You know, what works for you works for you. So you know, um, so I and uh, I mean, you know, going back to Michael Conley last week's interview where he talks about that thing, he goes back and has a little run up and breaks through where he might be blocked. So yeah, it's uh it's very specific number 53 days but yeah. you know that was The big takeaway for me Mark was this idea of every single author should be working towards refining a process and defining refining and then defining what that is. If you start with a 200 word challenge, you know, I think part of the reason why that's been so successful and people are loving it is because it gives you a very specific target but you can you can really extend beyond that and start picking you know obviously for for jack it's 53 days for his first draft but you know what is it for you if you start to build as you as you refine and and, and you 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 know go through the process of writing then i think it becomes easier to write additional books because you can start working within this framework and it doesn't have to be so restrictive it just gives you some some milestones to try and hit along the way absolutely but what's really important is that jack said his process has evolved he doesn't get stuck in a rut and that's something i'm very conscious of i mean if you go back and listen to the first few episodes of this podcast five years ago i was a very different writer there i was a as we know big outliner i hardly outline at all now you know mm. so and i've never really written a book the same way twice it's a constantly evolving process the, the more i discover you know my strengths and weaknesses, then I try and work on my weaknesses on the next one round and build on the strengths, you know? Mm. So it's, I, I think if you, if you ever sit down and think, well, that's, that's how you write a book, then, you know, you're, you're sort of tempting fate there, I think. And that, that's the thing I, I love about what Jack was saying is that it's constantly changing and evolving. I think if we yeah. spoke to him in a year's time, it might be different. 
It will. And I think, so I think it's important to remember that, you know, what is your process, your framework today and how will that evolve over time as well? And when you actually have something that you're writing down, I mean, that's the other thing, write it down, folks. Like actually try and write down what you think your process and framework might be today. But when you actually capture it, you can actually then see, and it'd be so great, Mark, if we had this for you like once a year, we could, you could check in with that process and, and we could actually show the evolution of it. It's like, oh, look, you know, five years ago, it was this and today it's that. Um, Start but, a podcast. Well, that's very true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all there. Um, the the other interesting thing I was, I was curious about this, you know, with with crime and thriller books as well. Um, again, I was hearing Jack talking about you know certain types of ways he writes. He talks about quick scenes, quick chapters, um, and and that's something that I've so enjoyed with Linwood Barclay's book recently. It's like each chapter is you know four, five, maximum maybe eight pages, and and it's just, it literally, I mean, we're talking about this offline, weren't we? It's, it, it goes like a rocket. You just, there is no messing around. And I'm curious about these types of books because they do seem to strip out, they don't really go into a lot of kind of world building, a lot of kind of detail. It's all about the action, isn't it? Well, I mean, someone like uh, someone like Linwood, someone like Harlan Coburn, someone like JK, you know, everywhere counts. And they're contemporary, so they're set in the real world. So there's not a lot of world building that needs to be done. Uh, I mean, I love the curiosity that JK has. He saw those houses, pulled over, looked at them, made some notes, and suddenly, you know, it's his curiosity that takes him in there. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I think it's that thing, you know, that old phrase, I, I'd, uh, was it Mark Twain said, uh, I'd love to have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. You know, I think those short chapters there's a lot of chiseling away to get down to the essence of what that chapter is about. And there's a, you know, going back to Linwood, there's so much character in those books. It's not just action. There's a lot of character in Mm. there as well, driving the story. And he's, you know, to be a good thriller writer, I think you need to be pacey, but you need to be able to fold really great, compelling characters. Um, you know, I was reading uh, when I when I was in lockdown and I COVID. I, I I sort of picked an Elmore Leonard at random, and his books are rarely more than seventy thousand words. They're really short, really short chapters, but within two pages, I knew exactly who these two crooks were. Mm-hmm. I, I could vis- I was casting the movie in my head. That takes real skill. That takes yeah. real kind of um, talent to 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 do that in so few. Words and as uh, J.K. was saying, you know, with this Kindle Vela, we can talk more about that. Um, you've got very little time to establish scene, to establish the stakes, to establish the characters, and if you can do it in as few words as possible, that's real genius. That's re- you know that that takes yeah. real skill. That's ref- that's a refinement of the craft as well. I'm mm. sure that that's something that kind of comes with time and and it's there there is a there you know i was finding that this week it's like how do you how do you fold in little tidbits of information without you know and let let it it, it's because it's it's the power in what happens in the reader's mind when you drop something in like there was there was an example in 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 the book that i'm writing the um the the the, i wanted to set up that this financial catastrophe that's happening um, right out the gate and rather than say what was happening the this the, this really evil CEO boss opens the window of his office and the through draft bl- 
blows away all the, the unpaid bills on his desk. And it was just this idea of like how to introduce the financial challenges without saying it, the kind of classic show don't tell. But you really have to stop and think about those things and think, how can I weave that in? And so it is a very, it, it is one of those things that you really have to work on. And I think it is too easy to look at like Mark Connolly's novels, to look at you know, Harlem, um, to look at Linwood's type novels and say, wow, this is just like, it feels like it just races long. But like you say, there's so much genius in between, in between the lines, so to speak. Um, which which takes which takes time to evolve and and yeah I don't think people get enough credit for that kind of writing because it seems too simplified or too simplistic doesn't it No and it's it's something JK uh, was was talking about in terms of you know he he loves honest feedback from his readers he gets a lot of good feedback from his readers and he's constantly honing his craft and he was talking about going back and rewriting those early dystopian science fiction novels because he's learned so much and he wants to go back and refine those as well. So you have to admire that as well. So, yeah. you know, I think it is, you know, we've said this before, you can't just sit in your laurels and think I'm a writer now. I know what I'm doing. I'm constantly, you know, learning new ways to do things. And that's for me is half the fun of it, of, di- of discovering a new way to convey an idea or an emotion or a character and seeing how far you can push things and what you can get away with and uh, just having fun with it and eliciting responses from readers as well. So when you get feedback saying, I was thrilled, it made me laugh, it made me cry, that for me is always, you know, job done. Mm. Now, he also talked about this, this, these three stages. He, he talked about there's a dilemma in the scene. How do you overcome it? And then the tables get turned at the end. Yeah. What, is this a classic kind of model that you've seen have you used that before? Well, it's 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 a it's a great thriller setup, isn't it? You give someone a problem, uh, you you know you, they try and solve the problem, and then there's a revert. You talk about you hear the word reversal a lot, mm. uh, particularly in thrillers, which is where you go in with an expectation and it's completely turned on its head, and you know plot twists, you know, and they they they're great fun, both for the writer and the reader. Uh, you know, you set up an expectation and then pull the rug out from from under both of them, uh, cool. and it's it's always always great fun. And you know, that's that I think is the sign of a great thriller writer. And it's the thing that I think readers will talk about when they're when the word of mouth kicks off. You know, it's the thing they will say, "Oh, my twists and turns, it, it kept is, me on the hook." Yeah. You know, yeah completely thrilled and you know this is what you hear about jk's books and you know uh, it's it's um you if if you can nail that then the books start to sell themselves well the readers do well i think you're right though because when you look at you know a lot of the authors that we've had on the show um you know if you think about i mean even this linwood barclay book i'm reading at the moment you know stephen king quote on the front says something about uh starts off with a bang and there's an even bigger kind of twist at the end. Or, there's always that classic line, you know, the twist you'll never see coming. Um, and that becomes the headline of the book, doesn't it? And then yeah. it may, and and so you're basically saying to the reader, look, if you're willing to, to invest in this book and sit with it all the way through, there's something really big waiting for you at the end. The only downside of that, of course, is if you build it up too much and it isn't like absolute gold, then you might lose your readers for you know future books. So there's, it's a it's a I think it's a great way of marketing a book, but you really have to work on that twist. And I don't know how easy those ones can come if you sit and pants a book. 
I think my my feel right now is I'm having to really plot this book to make sure that I'm not know. at the I end mean, working out how to to, to to come up with something. The other side of that is is you try to surprise yourself as you write as you would the reader. True, so, yeah. I mean, there are times I'll be writing something, I'll just I'll get them into a corner and just write, okay, what happens next? Stop writing, go away, do some housework or whatever. <laughs> go do some Lego. Take away. You know, because, you know, it's like if, you, if you're having a, a debate with someone and, you know, you lose the debate and then you go home and at three in the morning you think, oh, I should have said that. That's the advantage we have as writers yeah. because we can actually go back and put that bit of witty repartee <laughs> or that wonderful twist or that reversal uh, weeks after we originally thought of it, whereas the reader is going through and go, wow, I didn't see that coming. Well, it's like, well, we did, but it took us three weeks to think of it. Yeah, you know, I like that. Uh, you know, so we have that advantage. And I, this is why I'm more of a pencil these days because I'm thinking, okay, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? So I'm thinking more like the reader in that I want to delight them with some surprise yeah. that's around the corner. And it makes sense. I get why Stephen King always talks about, you know, why would you ever want to plot? Like you're just spoiling the story for yourself as the author. And it kind of, but it's also about having trust, isn't it? Having trust in the process that you are going to find something really good yeah, along yeah, that. Yeah. And knowing that you can do that and you can keep reproducing it. And I think a lot of people don't like that because they, they, they want to, you know, play within, you know, know what they're getting into before they start writing. But I think it's brilliant. And this is, this is a discussion that will go on forever and will never end because it's, it's, it's incredibly valid. And I think everyone should try every different route of writing a book just to be able yeah. to have have a say in the debate so to speak so no one way of doing it there isn't one other thing that i loved that um that jk or jack as we're referring to him you know yes. said is about the visual way in which he writes the books this really resonated to me because it was something that we very consciously did with back to reality and i'm doing it again i'm, I'm playing that movie in my head but it's interesting that he said that he he, he kind of gets a lot of his inspiration from watching movies mm. more so. I mean, he does read obviously, but it definitely sounded like more of his inspiration comes from the visual, you know, media that he takes in rather than the things that he reads in books, which is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I think that's, you know, it has, his books have this sort of cinematic pace to them, which again, if you're writing thrillers, people are expecting now, they're expecting a rocket, you know, they're expecting to be propelled along. Um, whereas, uh, you know, some fiction might be a bit more, take it a bit more time. But I think, you know, Jack is keen to take his readers on a roller coaster and leave them some kind of giddy at the end of it, wanting mm -hmm. more. And I think if you're doing that um, as, a, as a writer, then, yeah, look to those thrillers on the DVD shelf. But again, look at the masters and see how they do it on the page as well because it's um, it's not just about the action. But, you know, Jack clearly knows what he's doing. And uh, I think, um, you know, the techniques he uses, he was talking about dictation and becoming more immersed and invested in the characters and the story. I think that's a, that's the key as well. You know, you, you need to uh, submerge yourself in the story, which is why, he, you know, he says he's up at six, he's writing from seven till nine. That's a very similar routine to mine. And when I finish, I usually finish writing about 9.30, first session. And what, if it's a good day, I feel like I've woken from a dream. You know, you feel like <laughs> you've been to another place. It's like, uh, 
which is why it's nice to do something grounded like the washing up, you know. So yeah. You can sort of come well, do you down know why? That. Do you know why the washing up's so grounding? Because it has a start, middle, and end, unlike often yes. writing a book <laughs> in the moment, obviously, the book, the final product. But yeah, everything's always got loose ends, isn't it? But I love looking yeah. at that washing up, done, sorted <laughs> in a world where there's no conclusions to anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? I think that I really, I'm really a big fan of this idea of thinking cinematically, thinking, thinking visually, um, thinking of as a movie, because I think it also, it also tends to stop us falling too much into the abyss of detail, which I can, which I've seen with so many people who've struggled with these mega book projects I've been working on for 10 years. They've just got lost in the mire and they don't know a way out. And, um, I think it's easier to add the detail later if you feel that it's too light on detail than it is to go back and have to kind of like look at a book and say, you know, this is I, I, this is a swamp, literally a swamp. I can't, I can't, you know, even start on the where where to start with. It's a bit like walking into that that attic or that basement or that garage that is just an absolute state, mm. and you don't even know where to start. It's almost too overwhelming. Yeah, there's there's a balance to be had. You 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 want to have that. Uh, kinetic action but you also need a prose style that isn't just a series of events because that will switch people will switch off from that you need a prose style that <clears throat> welcomes you in keeps you leaning forward keeps you on the hook teases you uh and and promises more exciting stuff around the corner uh which i think is um is a skill in itself uh but yeah it's it's uh you need I think you need to have fun you need to want to delight the reader you need to you know tease and play games with them and then do terrible 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 things to your characters as well you know don't be scared of of that um but also you know develop that pro style so that they can visualize it in their head that they can see the room they can see the characters they can sense the action they can smell you know the uh, the the sweat they can, uh, you know, all the cordite from the guns or whatever, and uh, you know, make it as a, a wonderful image. Because the thing we can cinema is, you know, I, you know me, I love movies, I love TV. Cinema is amazing, but the thing that books can do that film can't is they can put you in the feet of those characters. You can look through their eyes, you can be there in the moment in a way that no other medium can 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 do it. So you, if you couple that with that cinematic kinetic energy storytelling um you that this is why thrillers are probably the dominant genre at the moment because people jump in and then you know get spat out the at the other end going wow you know mm. <laughs> more please <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and in some ways i mean i know a lot of thriller writers have series and we've always talked about you know the, the value of series but i think um thrillers you know it, it stylistically can be a series in you know, different characters different locations different situations but when you look at you know books like Linwood's Linwood Barclay's books you know it's they're I think they're standalones if I remember rightly it's written over yeah, about 20 are. or so yeah. but at the end of the day um what you're buying into is that kind of or what you, you're buying into is the author and the author's style and and how he takes you through the novels and 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 so it has the same impact as a series that you just want to keep reading more and more of his work. So yeah, it's brilliant stuff, really good stuff. And um, yeah, it's interesting as well to hear about how things are changing. I mean, this could be a whole episode and we probably can't go into this in too much detail, but the whole world of Facebook 
um, you know, how things are changing. In fact, there's a big thing recently where um, you probably read about this, where Apple gave everyone the opportunity to stop apps like Facebook tracking them. Yes, I've and, done that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's had a massive impact apparently on Facebook ads because obviously now Facebook can't get that information of knowing what to serve you. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, there's a lot of things changing. And as I said, we probably need to do a whole episode on this, but I'm not so sure that, you know, the world of places like Facebook ads, I'm not just talking about Facebook, but are these other kind of tracking you know, the privacy thing that we're all kind of talking about right now in, in the media. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that affects authors who are self-publishing and and traditionals, um, you know, in terms of actually reaching those readers. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Since I, I want, I mean, I know about this stuff because I kind of follow this stuff. I wonder, you know, how many, what percentage of people have actually bothered to turn that tracking mm off and actually all it's meant is i just get the weirdest adverts for <laughs> bitcoin are you, are you complaining now that you're not getting tokens. you're not you're not getting relevant you're not getting yeah. relevant adverts it is, it is <laughs> that's weird, kind of ironic actually. isn't it yeah it is ironic it's sort of made it a more annoying experience. <laughs> you actually realize actually it's better to get well it's yeah. i mean let's all be honest I, I guess we'd all prefer no ads at the end of yeah. the day but yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah yeah, I wonder if there's a, there'll come a point where people like pay pay subscriptions to get relevant ads. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Um, I'm sure Zuckerberg is working on it as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> the world is changing, folks. Metaverse. What's but all I I'll love, say? I, NFTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've Don't got get my me started on that. I'm, Oculus too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But what I loved, what I what I really want people to take away from this is uh this the marketing that no one else will do how how do i make an ad for a book not look like an ad for a book <laughs> and uh i thought his thing of a news flash was really inventive really really good fun it's something that uh i, I forget what episode it was we did an episode with sam missingham who is big into she does lounge marketing for for uh, authors and she's she hates those ads where it's a book and a shout line and buy now you know she's like i'd love to see more innovative ads and jk is doing this and i think it, that's the thing you know what can you do with your book ads that do stand out that are a bit different that take a bit of a risk uh and it's something we should be thinking more about and it's got me thinking about how i plug my books as well and get people involved with those so it's um yeah, try and, you know, if you've got any thoughts about how to think outside the box of that kind of thing, do please share it with us because we'd love yeah, to. Yeah, let's have some example adverts of ones that you've done that have been very successful or things you've seen which you think are very, that are genius level when it comes to marketing books. Let's have a look at those. We can talk about those on the shows in future weeks. So, Mr. Stay, there's a lot of things to talk about but we have we're running out of time and um it'd be nice to dive into a spotlight again we've this is a new feature that we've been doing the last few months um of amazing academy members people at bestseller academy who are on their journey they're they've started out in the academy and now they're at a certain stage and today we have um the wonderful w j kite who is looking for an agent and we've got uh, we've got uh, WJ to give us an overview. And Mark, in your best uh, newscaster voice, do you want to go for it and tell us about his about his book? Well, he's he's got uh, he's got it 
wonderful, wonderful uh, series that he's working on, uh, set, which is called The Border Reaver Chronicles. And um, let's go. Red Cap and Reaver is a YA tragedy, the first book in The Border Reaver Chronicles. It fo- follows William de Sewell's, a well-intentioned 15-year-old boy turned warlock in the 14th century borders between England and Scotland. He manages his new powers under the jealous and murderous watch of his father as the world and his love turns against him. From the 14th to the 20th century, he faces Robert the Bruce, King James and his own destiny as he seeks to build an army of border reavers led by the ruthless Johnny Armstrong and a swell of mythical creatures. When he makes a slave of a bloodthirsty redcap, William de Sewell's finally becomes what he most hates and readies to turn his powers on the world. Now, I've not read this one, but I have read one of W.J. Kite's short stories, and it was an absolute crack. It has so much uh, stuff that I like, the magic, the historical stuff, really, really cool. The other thing to know about W.J. Kite, he, he's been running this wonderful writing tournament for young writers, uh, which um, uh, I'm a judge on, uh, and uh, we'll be, might be talking about that in a future podcast as well. And the the work that he's put into this and the, the quality of writers, young writers that he's inspired to write in this kind of universe has been really inspiring. So he's one of the he's one of the good guys in the writing world. He's he's giving as well as you know putting his own stuff out there. And uh, so yeah, I think there's there's real potential here uh, for for this series. And you can find him on wjkite.com uh, if you want to jump into his world. Absolutely. So if you're an agent listening to this and that's grabbed your interest then then drop him a note wjkite.com and we're going to obviously report back when we hear about deals being done on this podcast and we'll love to kind of like um help people along the way as well because i think it's really important to you know to encourage everyone who's out there and like like, like mark said wj's is 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 definitely definitely got so much potential so to get in contact and thank you for sending us that sending us that in as well that's a, a great blurb and actually one of the things that that he actually constructed as part of his academy journey is actually putting together you know that blurb and and, and writing the book as well so all good stuff excellent mr stay um social media how's social media been this week it's been great. We've got some uh, more good news. Well, actually, some some mixed news. Now, uh, we had a spotlight a few weeks ago with Denise McGahn on the Academy, and um, she posted in, in the Hive on the Academy. She said, this week, I had a lovely spotlight on episode 352. Thank you again. But she says, on the same day... I received my first rejection from an agent. The roller coaster whirly gig of being a real writer. I thought to myself, I've hit the big time. Uh, I'm reminded of that TikTok that did the rounds in lockdown of an old lady who covered herself with an armor of old pans, colanders, and graters, and then played the drums with them. I'm her. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great. It's and I was chatting to Denise about this, and she was like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm in the game now. First rejection. Yeah, I'm in the game. So, Absolutely, uh, badge, of, badge of honor. Congratulations, Denise. Right. You've got to get yeah. your first rejection because that means you're making progress. It's brilliant, brilliant news. And I love her. I mean, just her kind of imagery of that woman with the the pots and pans on. I love it. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh, we got a lovely note from Matt Athanasiu on uh, the Academy as well, and he says it's been a minute since I've been able to post a win, but I've got some exciting 
exciting news this weekend that my children's horror poem, The Marmagar, was accepted by a magazine. I can't remember where the idea came from, but it stuck with me and seemed like it would be fun to write, so I did. My expectations for finding it at home were low when I found only a few places that might consider the poem, so the acceptance comes as a pleasant surprise. If you're curious about the magazine, they're called Crow Toes Quarterly, and I've loved everything I've seen from them so far. My poem should be in the January issue. So uh, crowtoesquarterly.org is where you'll find that in January. And congratulations on that, Matt. Yeah, brilliant news, Matt. That's really, really amazing. And last but by no means least, a uh, long-time supporter of the pot, I think I think she's one of our first listeners, uh, is, uh, well, she writes as Rhoda Baxter, but her real name is Jeevani Chirika. Uh, and she, she, she posted the other day, look, look, here's my news. Coming February 22, new novel from Jeevani Chirika, Playing for Love, and it's available for pre-order now. And here's, here's the blurb. It's all fun and games until your heart is on the line. When she isn't busy building her fashion business, Samadhi Sam Ranawira turns to her other passion to de-stress competitive late night gaming in secret of course she can't believe her luck when she's selected to play in a virtual tournament with notoriously elusive gamer Blaze Blaze is a little cocky and very self-assured no surprises given his huge online popularity and Sam feels under pressure to impress him with her gameplay but she has no idea that in real life he's just shy Luke Burnside the awkward guy from her office and despite his regular <laughs> coffee deliveries to her desk Sam barely knows notices Luke. Her crush intensifies with each game. She becomes obsessed with winning Blaze's attention. Will Sam lose her chance with the man right under her nose? So it's a fun, feel-good romance for fans of You Got Mail. Uh, Jeeve, huge, huge congrats on this. Um, again, Jeevan is someone who really gives back to the community. She's, you know, she does books on, because uh, she has a uh, sort of medical background, legal background, all kinds of great stuff. She did books on contracts and, and the business side of things as well. So follow her at Rhoda Baxter and check all that out. And huge, huge congrats on the new book, Playing for Love. Um, hopefully we'll get Rhoda Jeev back on the podcast early next year. Fantastic stuff. And folks, just before we go today, just a quick reminder, if you do want to win a copy of the audiobook of Back to Reality, ends at the end of November. Pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and sign up to the newsletter to get in with a shout. And we've got some great stuff coming up over the next few weeks, haven't you, Mark? I mean, we've talked about the Christmas special, folks. I think we can tell people what it's going to be. It came actually just from us like uh, improvising on some stuff, I think a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to be doing a nostalgic journey to our favorite Christmas books and presents that we had as kids. So we want you to get involved in that as well. So pop along to our Facebook page and Twitter and tell us what your favorite childhood book was at Christmas. Uh, this is gonna, this is going to kick off a few discussions, um, but that will be our Christmas special. So look out for that just, just before Christmas, I think it is, Mark, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's going to be- Christmas. Uh, I think it's going to be the episode between Christmas and New Year. Actually. Okay, brilliant. So, Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Tinkering stuff. tinkering with the schedule. Uh, as, <laughs> we we, as we, we make all this up as we go along. Um, <laughs> also, also um, let's remind people how they can get hold of us on social media, Mark. Yeah, come and say hello. We're at Facebook, Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. Or just pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com. There'll be a contact tab there. We can drop us an email and... We reply to everyone. So uh, do drop us a line. We love hearing from you. Brilliant stuff. And do remember, put in your diaries the 8th of December, folks, 8th of December, 12 p.m. 
PST, 8 p.m. UK time. Come and meet the two of us, have a chat about the Academy, find out if it's the right thing for you in 2022. That almost sounds like a little slogan. Um, But anyway, to everyone out there writing this week, have a fantastic writing week. If you need some inspiration, if you're struggling, if you've, if you're nanorhymed out um, and you want to just do 200 words a day, it seems to be working for me right now. So 200wordchallenge.com. Have a great week. See if you can. Here's my little challenge for the week. I want everyone out there listening to try to get at least 1,400 words by the end of this week. Go for it, folks. Coach Mark has spoken. And um, to you, Mark, as well, have a great week. I hope you have a fantastic session and all of those incredible things that are happening. We haven't done a... We, in fact, next week, we'll have to do a uh, catch-up on the um, comments from your your Warner movie. As, as personally selected by Mr. D, um, I'll grab a few more of those because that was a lot of fun. People said, oh, you want some more of those. Um, so if you haven't seen it as well, I should mention Mark's got a movie coming out. Uh, unwelcome. Actually, uh, I need the release date. Really? I leave this right to the end. See, little little Easter eggs for people that are still with us. I, 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 I don't think it's been officially announced, but it is on IMDb, so I'm safe. Okay. But yeah. uh, both in the UK and the US, it's coming on uh, March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day. So, oh, how uh, perfect. Yeah. Rest of the world, not sure yet. Hang in there. But uh, US and UK, we're having a, a proper old St. Paddy's Day knees up. So, uh, yeah, more details to follow. Oh, my gosh. Can't, can't <laughs> wait. You heard it here first, folks. Okay. Well, listen, have a great week, everyone. And it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye.